All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to a very special Pro Football Doc podcast, Sports Injury Central podcast. A super special guest who has been a industry leader and really led a, a whole new chapter in football in a lot of different ways. And very uh, big welcome to Steve Palazzolo, head of football product at Pro Football Focus. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. Did you ever envision that when you first took the job there that this is where it would be? No, not really. I mean, I, I've been at PFF since 2011, and you know, I, I joined because I was a fan. You know, I used I used that data as a fan and um, thought it was incredible the way PFF had you know looked at the game. Just wanted to be a part of it, and I knew there was something there. You know, a different way to look at football. I had no idea though within a few years that we would be the basically the number one data provider for NFL teams. Every uh, it's all but two FBS college teams. Uh, most of the FCS and into the CFL and every other spring league. So I didn't envision that part of it. And then, of course, what we do for fans on the fantasy gambling side and everything. So didn't envision all that. I just knew that there was something there, a way to look at the game and collect data and analyze things in in a different way that would be valuable, but, you know, maybe not at the scale that it's it's become over the last 10-plus years. So do you ever get into any – conflicts of interest so to speak because you provide data to multiple all the different teams that that one team says i want you to provide data on this team or this division this opponent how do you manage that or how does that work we we try to view ourselves as switzerland here you know we are we are neutral uh data provider so every nfl team essentially is buying um, our entire database uh, of information and um it's it's the ability of uh it's our ability to take data and link it to video so they can see it for themselves. I think that's the, um, the biggest driver of success for us, you know, is we have, we have a lot of data and then it's on the teams to figure out what they want to do with it. And um, it's really NFL specifically, it's, it's 32 different businesses, 32 different business models. So they all pretty much get the same data set. You know, we have a base, a base set, and then there's a PFF IQ, which about half the league has, which is um, on top of our base package. But, uh, they all get the same data and it's all about how do you leverage it to game plan better, to find tendencies, to prepare for the draft, to prepare for free agency, make trades, manage your team. It's on the team to figure out how to use all that information. But for the most part, we're, we're pretty neutral. We just collect the data, send it out and let, let organizations do what they can with it. But you're not saying, okay, this is how you might stop the chiefs or the Eagles, or this is how you might attack. You're just giving the data sets, and it's up to the team's analysts to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, we can we can create reports that um, isolate those tendencies as as much as possible. But again, it, it's it's usually on the teams to to mine that data and uh, and figure out how to how to leverage it best. But yeah, we're not necessarily doing uh, you know customized analytics or analysis for each team. Uh, they they can they can ask us for specific types of reports and we can build those for them, but it's still on them to figure out what to uh, how to best use the data and leverage it. Gotcha. And how do you so you have all this data? How do you guys handle injury? Since obviously that's kind of what I do. What's your how do you look at injury? So you look at tendencies, but based on injuries and other things, uh, how does PFF handle that? 
Yeah, so it's 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 interesting because it, it's not necessarily baked into say our raw grades or anything like that. So we're not making grade adjustments or anything to that effect. But we have we have a database of uh, you know injuries that we collect, and it again it's it, it's more on the user to kind of figure those things out. Um, so we're not we're not necessarily making those adjustments. But if you have a player say that has that is clearly um, you know banged up for the entire season on and off injury reports missing time and you see performance drops i mean that we what we do what we can provide is the objective analysis of say performance i think that's what we do really well with our grades our grades are not scouting based they are grading every player on every play from a pure production standpoint so if you have a player that's been at a certain baseline of performance which we i I think we do the best job of objectively bringing that performance to light and then you have a player that drops off or is coming off of a subpar year. Um, and then he has a breakout season or whatever it might be. I think then after the fact, it's like, all right, where, where did, um, where do the injuries come uh, into play here? Was a guy playing hurt? Has he been playing hurt for three years and all of a sudden he's healthy. So to me, I think our, our value is providing the objective analysis, not so much the adjusted analysis, but then um, injury analysis on top of that, to figure out um, some of the whys, I think is is really important. Again, we we kind of leave that up for to um, our end users or people like you to be able to isolate what you know what uh, what a player's injury situation looks like and how we should then pair that with the production data to figure out um, how much it affects things. How much disagreement do you get on grades? Like, does a player ever call you and say, "What are you talking about?" and "How did you downgrade me to that?" or team or position i mean is there internal controversy on a grade uh you know for a particular play or a particular game or how do you handle that yeah so i mean at the play level because it's football and it's a massive gray area i mean we have our own internal debates you know so we have there's thousands of plays in a given week and there's you know 40 or 50 where we at the end of the week are saying okay there was a coverage bust here who who was it i mean most of the time i think you could figure it out because most of the time, 10 guys are doing one thing and one guy's doing the wrong thing. But sometimes you literally just can't tell. Um, and we try not to just guess. Um, but we we do get input from teams. Um, we certainly get input from players. Um, they Players tend to like us when their grades are good or trash us when their grades are bad. Um, <laughs> I think over time, though, I think the grades are really good, right? At the season level, at the multiple season level. And so we've had a lot of conversations with teams there's definitely negative feedback where a, a scout or a coach will just say, how can you do this? And then it's like, all right, well, let's put your grades against our grades. And a lot of the times it's like, okay, this makes sense, right? We have this guy here and, you know, maybe just switch one guy here and there, or, you know, the interpretation of an overall grade. Um, sometimes it comes down to the facet, right? You have an offensive lineman. We say he's pretty good, but it's about what are, what are his splits between pass blocking and run blocking. They kind of tell a different story. Um, so I'd say overall, um, there's there's more agreement than disagreement when it comes to the grades because over time I think they're really good. They're consistent from year to year across most positions. Um, players who grade well or teams that grade well win more games, right? Like they overall they're directionally good, but obviously at the play level or you know one off season level or game level, there's going to be some disagreements because it's football. There's a, there's a lot of gray areas in in in, in the game. Well, this is where I was always intrigued to talk to you and, and you guys, and uh, you guys do a great service and obviously chatted at Radio Row and 
and so forth. Because in some ways, I feel like what we do at Sports Injury Central is similar to what you do, but in a, in a much different way, but similar. I mean, we're looking at video. We're, you know, we're looking at objective video. And one of the things I take away from what you do is it's not as simple as, you know, uh, the cornerback gave up a touchdown, all right, and he was in the yep. screen. What was the coverage, right? You have the safety head over the top, you know, you're, you're downgrading the wrong guy if you're just going by who was chasing him down at the end with effort and uh, didn't make the tackle before the touchdown, right? It, it's the scheme. Even on blocking schemes, who was responsible for that, you know, uh, uh, different things. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's very simple. And, like, what we do is, like, people, whether it's injury video or how a guy's performing or how Brees Hall is responding, there's so much video on, like, look at how great he is against air and if you look he doesn't yeah. really plant that left knee for a one cut and yes he reached 21 miles an hour straight line speed but it takes him 30 yards to slow down i mean like everything's qualitative and, and one of the things that we always do is people always say well it's a high ankle sprain that's four to six weeks how's patrick mahomes playing well it is a high ankle sprain and we're the first ones to say it and then people freaked out when it was confirmed at it, like he's going to be out. I'm like, he's going to be okay because of, honestly, how he plays in the sense that he's not a five-seven step step drop, plant the back foot in the ground and drive the ball down the field. He's an off-axis, wrong foot, change arm angle thrower. And what we did say is that he's not going to drive the ball downfield with any accuracy because he can't plant that back foot. Right. But he can do a lot underneath and, and with his arm angles. And he's been, he was very successful in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. So I think that's where we're very similar. It's very qualitative analysis, not A is A, always A, and B is always B kind of situation. So I'm always curious how you guys did it. Yeah. So I think that context is crucial, right? So when we, a lot of the, a lot of the hate that we would get, you know, from say fans or whatever is the fact that we put out a grade, right? And you just have one number. And even we, so one player's an 80 and another player's an 80. But just like you described Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is great. Tom Brady's great. They, they're they playing the position completely differently, right? There's, there's a lot of context there. Brady has a completely different style from Patrick Mahomes. And an 80 player in our system and an 80 player um, at a similar, at, at the same position, might do it differently. It might be um, they win differently. They do it in different facets of play. You know, there's there's probably a conversation to be had around every single player grade, but a lot of times it's we have to tweet them out and tell people, and it's like, oh, this guy's an 80 and this guy's a 78. You're wrong. It's like, all right, well, there's, there's nuance to all that stuff, I think exactly how you described. So um, we love the nuance. We love, you know, I, I love on our podcast being able to explain things. Why did a guy, why did a quarterback throw for three touchdowns and we gave him an average grade? Why did he throw three interceptions and he had a similar grade? Because results are football stats and results are very much driven by what you were just saying. The scheme, what other players are doing. People don't think about what the defense is actually doing. When the defense misses four tackles on a play and the quarterback gets all the stats, all of that is context. So a lot of what we end up doing is I think our grade does a really good job of objectively isolating the player as much as possible but the production numbers will fluctuate accordingly based off what's happening around them, whether it's supporting cast on their side of the ball, on the other side of the ball, the scheme and all that. Um, so, yeah, I think 
I think what you're basically saying is context is crucial, right? I mean, it's not as simple as high ankle sprain four to six weeks. There's context Correct. within that in each situation. And that's, you know, part of the and, fun. And, of and you know, grade two MCLs are not the same. Is this a straight line runner uh, or is this, you know, the inside or outside leg on your left tackle, or is it a cornerback or, you know, and what are the coverage schemes zone versus right. man for that week in terms of their performance. And so we actually try and factor that in, in a very custom way. And I think what makes us unique is look, there are lots of doctors and people out there like you, I actually studied a lot of film, like yeah. not football film, but one thing that I fell into, this is how I fell into doing this, is every Sunday after seeing a guy on the field, on the sidelines, in the locker room, and the next day, injury check with an MRI, I knew what the diagnosis was and the situation was. But I usually had about 30 minutes to kill before meeting with the GM. And everyone in an NFL building looks at film on Mondays, even Sunday nights. And yep. I was like, maybe I should go look at film. Uh, what was I looking for? I have no idea. I was just like, hey, it's kind of fun. Let's just try and get better at your craft. There were times where, when I'd say to a player, what do you think happened to your knee? I don't know. Is it a big pile? I don't know. I'm going to go look at film, right? And so I was like, okay. So I looked at film and I you know, did some lectures for fellows and other things looking at film and injury mechanism. And so there I knew the exact answer. But the question was the video. Now, I don't know the answer. All I get is the question, is the video. And the video is pretty good nowadays with all the different angles. And we try and look at every replay from all the different angles. And, you know, that's how we're able to get to 95%. And I think there are times when players are upset at us because, you know, I got into an exchange with, it was a friendly exchange with Odell Beckham when he was coming back from Cleveland from his ACL. He's tweeting out, look at how he's doing. And he was running on a treadmill. And I said, well, yeah, good acceleration and treadmill straight line speed, but you're not cutting and, and decelerating. And that's what it's all about for ACLs and to get separation, get open. And then I said, and it looks, besides the video looks sped up. And, and he took ex exception. And he said, this video is not set up, sped up at all. And I replied saying, no, 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 I'm not saying you cheated. I'm just saying when you take a phone and you put it on Twitter, there's different things that happen, right? And yeah, frame rates purposeful. and everything. Yeah. But he did agree that the decel and uh, cutting is not there yet. And that, and we've actually become text pen pals. And yeah. that's one thing I found is like whenever I've said something to a player or met a player, I remember Mitchell Schwartz once and I said uh, at a Super Bowl, his table was empty, so I sat down and said, ah, I introduced myself who I was. And he goes, I know who you are. I'm like, uh-oh, are you going to slug me? Because <laughs> I said a lot about your injury this year. And he goes, he goes, because uh, I dealt with his brother Jeff a lot and media and stuff. Yeah. He goes, no, I know exactly who you are. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't want to surprise you. He goes, you want to, you know, what do you want to say? He goes, no, I actually like what everything you do. He goes, we as players can't tell fans what we have. We're under the guise of the team and we play along. And sometimes, depending on the, what's released, it makes the player look bad, right? Like you're not trying because the teams do the coach speak. Oh, he's close this week. Okay, not this week. And he's close next week, not this week. Reality is he's four weeks away, but you're just playing the game. And then yeah. it makes the player look bad. So he was actually very appreciative. So I hope for you too, for your grades, there's an upside. Because I know it's easy to complain about the rating, but... I'm sure you probably have some stories where players probably thank you for pointing out that it wasn't the 
DB on the blown coverage. It was the scheme and, and, and so forth, right? Or like you say, quarterbacks yeah. to throw three picks, but they still get a good grade, right? Yeah, I I, I think kind of like you when when I have the opportunity to get you know to to just get beyond here's this number that gets thrown out there and it's good, bad, or indifferent. Having the conversations, I think, are are the best. Whether it's with a general manager, whether it's with other front office personnel and evaluators, whether it's with a coaching staff. Um, and we've had great conversations, right? I mean, a former NFL coach just sitting down being like, I don't view the game the same way as you guys, right? When I'm watching a left tackle, I am looking at knee bend and I'm looking at his footwork and, and you guys are just, and I said, yeah, and we're strictly looking at whether or not he wins or loses. And then from there, you could say, do I want an offensive lineman that wins a lot and loses a lot in the run game? Like I can, I can weigh that versus a guy that doesn't lose or, but also doesn't win a lot. And there's in that. So it's like a different style. You're actually describing styles of players in a different way. So again, it comes all down to that context, but almost every conversation I've had, except maybe one or two from an old crotchety former GM, <laughs> most conversations, at the end of the day, come back with, Hey, we respect what you do. We respect the process. Um, it's a, Ours is an objective process as much, you know, because we've come up with a, a system and a rubric and we've trained our people and we're trying to see the, the game through the same eyes. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's, it's as objective as we can make it and it's consistent. And then again, it's on people to figure out how to value that and, and where to use it. And, um, and I think overall there's been far more good than bad when it comes to PFF and our grades. Well, that's great. Well, that's that's been our challenge at Sports and New Central. We brought in some other doctors. We only take doctors that were pro sports team doctors, so experience uh, in the trenches, so to speak. But my biggest challenge is how do I objectify the analysis that is very subjective? Because we're very on one play, one cut. How bad is it? Then factoring into it's it's it is admittedly very subjective, and we're working on ways. Uh, through AI and other things to try and make it more objective and repeatable. I think we can get it 80, 85% of the way there, but I think it's still a subjective game in, in terms of, of the key, what we do. The key is thinking probabilistically though, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, especially it gets worse and worse. I think every year uh, we, t as humans, we tend to want to think in black or white, right? Good and bad. And, you know, Politically, everything's black and white and everything's black and white, right? And we're talking probabilistically, even when we do draft evaluation, right? Josh Allen, I think if we if Josh Allen was a prospect again, there's still a low probability that he, he becomes a star because he had some flaws that don't tend to improve. But Josh Allen overcame those flaws and became a star. So probabilistically, I don't know if the analysis was wrong on Josh Allen, but man, credit to him. He improved his footwork and his accuracy and so many things that just weren't there at Wyoming. So yeah, a lot of people missed on Josh Allen, but I think he's still more of an outlier than than the norm, right? So I think that's the challenge. Even when we work with uh, evaluators and general managers, thinking probabilistically, it's nobody has a 100% hit rate, but if you have a 60 or 70% hit rate, you're really good. So it's, you know, so you don't need to, you know, trash somebody for the 30% maybe that they missed. If we think probabilistically and think that 60 is better than 50 percentage wise, those are wins and those are edges. And I, and to me, that's another one of those challenges in football because so many of us think about hit, miss, you know, good, bad. And it's tough to think about just making things a little bit better 
with more information. Well, I'm going to tell Jacob, our producer here, to clip that because he has 60, 70% hit rate. I will take – look, I, we track ourselves at 95, and we get so much grief every time we're wrong about an injury. It's unbelievable. I like, we're, we're watching on video. We're not doing an exam, right? There's, there's a big difference. And so we try to stay in the 90s, and we still get a lot of grief when, uh, when we're wrong. And the biggest area we get grief is return to play. Do you think he's playing this week or not? And I would say it's not – it's multifactorial. The player can say, I'm ready. The doctor can say, you're ready. But the team says, well, let's wait till you're 95% because next week is more important or it's by scheme or something. And so it's always yep. unpredictable. Or the team says, let's go. The doctor says no. I mean, it's there's different components to it. And uh, and uh, I'll tell you a funny story. And, and, and you're right. I like the way that you phrased it where you say, okay, the data was right. Okay, maybe something else changed along the way, right, to make it seem wrong. But as long as the data was right, one of my favorite stories is Jared Goff, when he was with the Rams late that final season, he dislocated his thumb. And based on the video and how he dislocated his thumb and, okay, he had pins in it and then he missed a week, I went on record saying 100% he is playing slash starting against the Seahawks. And I put it all out on the line. And 91 minutes before the game, Jay Glazer says he's not playing. And I'm like, Jay Glazer's not wrong. He's getting, he's not starting. He's getting with somebody else. I got so much grief. And I just said, well, by injuries. And okay. Now, of course, John Wolford got a concussion in the first quarter. And Jared Goff came in and played three and a half quarters. But on the podcast that Monday, we doubled down and said, look, by the injury, he could have played. What this tells us is that the Rams are hiding behind health. If that's Tom Brady, he's starting and playing. So what that's they're telling you is if they think of Jared Goff here, they think of John Wolford here. Or if they think of John Wolford here, they think of Jared Goff here. Like the, the, the fact that he didn't practice all week was enough to tip him the other way. That would never happen to, uh, you know, Josh Allen or Tom Brady or Philip Rivers or, you know, Peyton Manning, right? I mean, that told us, and besides what also told me is they only activated two quarterbacks. Yeah. The third quarterback wasn't active for the Rams. If they're not sure about Jared Goff's health, they can activate Goff, not start him, but they have to start and have Blake Bortles activated because you don't want a San Francisco 49ers situation where you're short quarterbacks in a playoff game. And the fact that he played, but the fact that they didn't activate him, and of course we know what happened in the offseason, he got traded. So that's where I think you're right. Stick to your guns of make sure your process is correct in your analysis, but just because the outcome isn't right doesn't mean you guys are ultimately wrong. Lots of things can happen in, in, in the meantime. And before anyone comes at me, like, we're wrong a lot, and we admit it. We don't delete tweets. We say, oh, yeah, okay, maybe yeah. you missed that injury. You know, it looked like that to me. And sometimes we get proven right in the end. But, yeah, it's all just the analytical process, and that's what I love about what you guys do. Yeah, it's okay to be wrong about certain things. Wrong for whatever that is. But there's there's reasons behind it. And, uh, again, as hit rate's all relative, right? And baseball hitting, hitting 330 is really good and, you know, 
in predicting injuries, it might be 90% that's good. In projecting what a player is going to do next year from a production standpoint, it might be 60%. I mean, it's all relative, but you just got to be better than what other people are doing. So, so overall now for you guys, what percentage and what's your focus on teams versus fans versus uh, scheme versus, you know, fantasy, DFS, gambling, or you're just data and people do what they want with it? No, we're, we're pretty much 50-50 as far as um, we, we split our business, basically. We have um, the, the team, uh, a team of people that just focus on, on serving NFL teams. I, I spend most of my time there actually building the products that they use and listening to feedback and how they want to use our products and, and serving up the data in ways that they can use it better. Um, and then we have another team that, that focuses on the fans and um, taking our data and creating fantasy insights and, and uh, betting insights and just, you know, the articles that you see, the podcast. I, I Obviously, I podcast and do stuff on that side as well. So um, it's really uh, two different teams at work uh, serving serving our team clients, our agent clients, and another team working with fans and creating those insights that uh, that come with our PFF Plus product. From the team side, I think there's not much Sports Injury Central or we can help because they know what injuries their own players have, right? right? Where we're just looking at it from the outside. We might be able to help them on what the opponent might have in a given week. But I think on the fan side, there's almost good synergy. Like, you have all the analysis of what might happen this week, be it in fantasy, DFS, or gambling, based on all your data. And we might be able to tweak it up or down based on injuries, either injury to that particular player or injuries to the defense or the offensive line that week in terms of what might happen that might adjust your analysis for this given week per se, right? Um, yeah, because sure. you're you're doing the season-long analysis and doing it very well. You're the industry leaders, but it's hard to get that fine tweak. And maybe that's the one small thing that we can add to the whole st- story. Makes sense to me. I'll make sure you're in touch with the right people. <laughs> because I, it, <laughs> well, look, it does make it, sense if you know a player is going to be at seventy percent, or however you you know judge that. Well, that's that's what we do. We can chat yeah. offline. I'd love to talk with you and your guys and learn because you guys are really ahead on this stuff. I mean, I'm just an injury guy, right? But but we do try and factor in analytics in terms of different things, uh, in terms of recovery from injuries and so forth, and you know, uh, you know, uh, different. Uh, you know, futures things and, you know, expectations for a play over the season, fantasy drafts, but most importantly, week to week. And and a lot of it, believe it or not, has to do with cluster injuries. It's not just always about the wide receiver or the quarterback. It's about the offensive line or the defensive line or the, the DBs. And, you know, uh, everyone knows if Josh Allen is hurt, right? Or everyone knows if Stefan Diggs has something, but do you really know the DBs and the corners and the depth? in terms of what it is. And that's what we do with our field view. We're very, your guys are very macro analytic and we are probably a little more micro for this week, you know, doing the tweak, so to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a huge part of the game and knowing not just if a guy's injured, but where and how and all the stuff you just discussed, right. The, the context behind it and how it's going to actually affect the game. It's all huge part of the puzzle. Are you guys ever going to, do basketball and baseball and other sports or just football? Uh, we've dabbled in soccer. Um, we'll see what that, you know, what that ends up looking like for us, but that's been our first uh, foray into another sport. So uh, that's well, ongoing. Still football. 
it's still football <laughs> football um but yeah we'll see uh where that grows i think some of the other sports are pretty well saturated but um soccer football has been uh a decent start for us i think very good well what else you got new coming this year before we sign off uh, uh you always got new stuff where, where are you going what do you got new coming i mean biggest thing for me is the pff nfl podcast appreciate everybody that already tunes in or that would tune in we'll be doing three to five shows a week and picking that up right around training camp again and that's that's where i spend most of my focus and then pff plus where we have all of our fantasy and dfs betting all of our all of our tools are being upgraded throughout the season so pff plus is where you get that subscription gotcha well that sounds good and, and it sounds like i'm inviting myself over here but uh i'd be happy to return the favor and join you at any time i really appreciate your you're coming on here and uh, congratulations on all your uh, success there and uh, keep it going. So uh, pro football focus, uh, check out the podcast. Thanks Steve for coming on and uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, part two of the pro football doc podcast. Welcome back to part two of the sports injury central pro football doc podcast. It's good to have Steve from pro football focus on. That's an interesting story that he was just a fan and he worked his way up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, That's he was pretty cool. I mean, I mean, uh, Doctor Bick thinks he's done with medical school. So <laughs> every day like, I think I am, and then I get shot down the next hour. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jacob Taylor's here. What do you got today? Yeah, Steve was actually a Triple A pitcher, uh, independent ball pitcher. So. I guess he, he went from, from baseball right to football. So interesting. Interesting that they're getting into soccer. I don't I, I know Taylor would be all over that. They're, that's uh, awesome. There's so much metrics and EFF stuff in soccer, soccer data, that are yeah. touched yet. Yeah, that's pretty nice that they're doing that. I figured since uh, you guys were, were talking process, then uh, I'll I'll give our listeners a little window into our process um, behind our preseason preview that we're working hard uh, putting together. Uh, we basically through all of the AFC and our back end stuff. We just need to get onto the NFC, but a uh, big, big team that kind of surprised us talking through a little is uh, two issues with the Cincinnati Bengals, Leo Collins coming from a multi ligament ACL, MCL, PCL uh, on his left knee. And there's some movement on that offensive line. And then the other one's a uh, Chidobi Awuzie, the number one corner coming back from the torn ACL he suffered on Halloween. So give give us some insight into into those two returns and kind of how they might differ. I mean, one's offensive line, one's defense. So which one's well, going to be tougher? First of all, you know, in terms of health, obviously we're biased and, and injuries matter. Half the teams will have a significant season-ending injury before the start of the regular season. In the regular season – Every week that goes by that there's not a season-ending injury is a good week. Mm -hmm. Statistically, 17 weeks, 17 games, teams have about 10. Late season, there's some late ads because it's just pushing up against it, you know. Uh, but that was kind of always my metric. And, you know, if you're one season-ending injury in the preseason – is to a key starter, you think you had a terrible offseason. If you didn't have one or the season-ending injury is to a depth guy, you say you had a good offseason. 
Same with the games. It doesn't matter if you had seven injuries or two. It's a, it's which two players. What's which it? ones matter? Yes. You know, uh, <laughs> yep. And by that, I don't mean. Um, and, I, and I'll say something. You got the Seau Chargers jersey in the background here, and I'm biased maybe, but it's not always the. Ladanian Tomlinson, oh my God. Antonio Gates, oh my gosh. Junior Seau, oh my gosh. Or Philip Rivers, oh my gosh. I think, and that's what we focus on, what's behind them. And that's how we use Coach Norv Turner and others and talent people, what's behind them and so forth. Look, the Chargers, when we were at our best, okay, we didn't win any championships, but winning the AFC West and making the AFC championship game, we ran a three, four defense. And to me, what made it special is you had Sean Merriman on one side, who's been on the podcast and Sean Phillips on the other guy on the other side. Actually, yeah. we should get Sean Phillips on for a podcast. A we haven't one. done him good idea. Uh, ever. I don't think uh, Sean Merriman we've done, we can bring him back, but it's, the, the fact that you couldn't turn your protection one way or the other that made it special. But anyone will tell you what makes a 3-4 go and work is the nose tackle. Mm-hmm. That nose tackle needs to eat up two blocks. And let me tell you, to me, our most valuable player that we couldn't lose was Jamal Williams. He just got inducted into the Chargers Hall of Fame. Yep. Not because, you know... Jamal ultimately is better than Ladanian Tomlinson or this, that, the other. It's just that we had Michael Turner behind Ladanian Tomlinson. We had Darren Sproles there. You know, we had Billy Volok behind Phillip Rivers, right? We had other options. But the 3-4 is so unique. Jamal Williams ate those blocks. We've got mm-hmm. some other good players, but that 3-4 nose is a different animal, right? You got other people who can play the position, but not the same way. So... That's what we try and look at. So in terms of the Bengals here, I think the Bengals, real good team, but I think they were hampered last year by their offensive line. It was one thing when it was a right tackle and right guard that were out, you can shift the protection. But as soon as Jonah Williams got injured, that's when it all fell apart, right? It made it very, very difficult. And that's why we were picking against them in the end. And the Bengals got to give them credit. They adjusted well. And that game against Kansas City, right, they uh, gave up, what, two sacks, two holdings in the first quarter alone, and then they changed their whole scheme to three-step ball out, right, and uh, made it work a little bit. I think the O-line still going to be an issue. I mean, we're still finishing up the preseason preview, but Lael Collins, I don't see him ready. That's why they shifted Jonah Williams over. That's why they signed um, um, Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown side. Zeus, right? At left tackle. Jonah Williams was a first-round pick. Now he's being moved to right tackle. Uh, Jonah Williams is talented, but he's coming That's off of injury game. himself. Yep. And um, in addition to that, it's not the easiest. I know he played one year right tackle in college, right? But it's not that uh, easy to switch. I yeah. mean, the best <laughs> analogy I can give you is it's the difference between a right-handed layup and a left-handed layup. Can everyone make a left-handed layup? Not everybody. I mean, even good athletes sometimes, they're just not as fluid. You know, I have to think before. 
every time I do the other hand, I have like a little like hesitation. And I'm, oh, you have to do the left hand, and that's not going to get yeah. it done. You have to think you it. Well, at the thing. highest levels, right? When you're a split <laughs> yes. second is the difference. And, right. uh, to everyday analogy, imagine um, you know um, something as simple as uh, having dinner with your off hand. Yep. I mean, you'll make it, but <laughs> it might be a little messier. Spoon to mouth it. ratio is not going to be efficient. Or, or, or I can say this. Imagine using chopsticks with your offhand. There you go. I couldn't even <laughs> use it. With Taylor my, can't imagine like, using hand chopsticks with right hand. hand. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor can't imagine eating any food that would require chopsticks. Chopsticks, I mean, yeah. His, I just watched my fiance. fried rice is as, as fancy as he gets. Yeah. And, uh, but you get my point, like, you know, or writing, you know, one hand, it, it's let right. It's, it's not just, oh, who cares? You're blocking. No, no. Everything has a hand inside and, and, a, and, a, and a kick. So worried about that. And as you guys know, we don't like corners coming off of ACLs. Look at Tredavious White. He missed three quarters of the season. And he was Thanksgiving. Then, he was a month later. Yeah. Right. He was a month later, but he mm-hmm. missed. Then, then it was his timeline. Yes. And. I don't know that he was 100% at the end of last year. Right. So uh, uh, some of the things we have to do is figure out the depth charts, right, before we finalize the preseason preview. But well, I think that'll be very on- valuable for people to do their fantasy analysis and their uh, drafts and uh, also for futures wagers, right, uh, which we were pretty hot on last year. So anyways, I think uh, – uh, we got some new things. Uh, this this basically is a book, you know, the preseason preview or booklet at least, and uh, we'll throw it in with uh, with a, a, a sign up, uh, etc. And I think it can be pretty helpful. I know we're spending a ton of time on it. Right. Yeah. To, so there's uh, no question, football season is here, right? I mean, once basketball it's, it's is been over, here now, yeah. Football, football you're football, late football. if you're jumping on now. Well, it's baseball season for me, ten year old baseball, but yeah, yeah, baseball and season that won't and, end. And, and I still see the the stuff you guys are the team is putting out for sleeper and underdog for for baseball. Some of it's pretty good. Yeah, we're we're experimenting with some picks. I mean, uh, anything Otani. I know Taylor wants to play. Um, <laughs> that's how you complete your sleeper. If you have three picks, you just do a Otani pick, make it four, right? <laughs> a little bit more money. You know, uh, I, I'm ultimately going to get burned on this. Okay, I've told you guys, I've been playing a lot of sleeper slash underdog, right? And and for people listening, hundred dollar match on sleeper. Go on your phone; it's much easier on your phone. Sign in promo code SIC. $100 match. I play 10 bucks and pick four or five people, you know, have some fun. Most of them are Padres or whoever the Padres are playing because that's likely what my son will be watching. So it makes it interesting. You're enhancing I'm your in California. Sport. It's legal. It's legal yeah. sports, winning money on sports legally. Um, it's basically betting on sports, but not in the traditional way, you know, with the prop parlays. Right. Um, Tell me what you think of this one. Um, lately, yeah, been doing pretty well, right? And you coached me through it, but I just played it to learn. And it's ten bucks. I mean, it's you know, and uh, to try and have some fun, you can bet a dollar if you want, right? But when they make you do an opposing a third team or a second team, you know what I've? What do you think about this? Why don't you take a guy, 
as, as long as you're not playing in at Wrigley Field or Colorado, why don't you just take a guy that is not a power hitter and take under home runs? It doesn't give you a multiplier much, right? 1.09, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it qualifies yeah. to make your ticket legal. Well, that's what we did with the Jokic, Doc. Um, we were handing out double-doubles because they would have it for a couple hours. And Jokic double-double what? That was like 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2. Yeah, and then it would come off the board. It changes, right. yeah. Exactly. It, it, does, yeah. it does change pretty quickly. But mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like, I did that last night. I don't even know what player I was. Like, oh, shoot, I got to find someone else. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, that guy does – that's a that guy's low in the lineup. He's not a home run hitter. 1.09 under home runs. Just didn't increase my odds, but it qualified the ticket, you know. Absolutely. One shy, didn't win it. One shy. I know I know Taylor tries to do that because he's he's beholden to injury base. So it makes it uh makes it tough for some baseball because uh, if there's not a lot of injuries going on. But if there's a guy replacement in the lineup, Taylor will take under hits and he's got burned more times than the Yeah, because sometimes they're just ready, they're ready to go. You know, it's not just like he's a bad player. It's just they come in cold and they're fine, you know. So yeah, just, but maybe the under home runs is the way to go. <laughs> well you know you when you get burned you get burned, right? But yes. you don't get any lot of upside, but it qualifies your ticket if like absolutely you know that's all. All right. Um, since oh, we're talking Otani's, so much baseball, uh, cracked fingernails that a big deal, Doc? I, he he came out with a start. He hit two. He hit a home run after out? he came out. He six and a third. He lasted. I don't know his pitch count off the top of my head, but ten strikeouts. I mean, he, he wasn't going like more than seven, far. right? I mean, yeah, he was. He yeah. never does. So yeah. I mean, fingernail. It'll grow by five days from now. I mean, and he was taken out before his second home run, Jacob. Correct. Okay, so he hit it with the. Hit a home run with the broken nail. Yeah, uh, bro, the nail not, is to make sure you don't get an infection or a blister or whatever. It's precaution, and uh, I'm not worried about him for the next start, and not worried about him for for hitting. But who right. we continue to be worried about is Aaron Judge. So I think a while back, look, I'll admit, we'll admit when we're wrong. I didn't see the turf toe on the Dodger Stadium video. I couldn't tell that he jammed his toe in a turf toe. The way he hit, I was like, I don't think there's a fracture, which is correct. And I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But once they announced turf toe and a second PRP, I think we've gone hard saying he's not coming back till after the All-Star break. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is it's not a matter of, well, just DH him if he can't run around and play in the field. No, it's his back foot that you need to step into or or turn off of you need to plantar flex uh, dorsiflex the foot the big toe or as my 10 year old son davis would say squat squish the bug your back foot and that's what stresses the turf toe injury that's what drives and gives you the power this is why he cannot play for a while it's not a matter of just DHing. it's he can't hit right it's not he can't play the field he can't hit and I think this last week, Aaron Judge said it was his back foot, and he indicated he agreed with that some. But we're looking at past the All-Star break, I believe. Now, could it be longer than that? I mean, I guess it could be, right? I don't know the severity of it. And all this stuff about we don't see turf toe in baseball, you don't see it as often, I agree, okay? But we can tell you what effects it's going to have, right? And uh, when is he going to be comfortable turning on that back foot and dorsiflexing the big toe? 
that stresses the plantar plate, which is the turf toe injury. But it's going to be a while. That's why you say post All Star break. Uh, and we'll see. I'm like, if I were a Yankee fan or own Aaron Judge in a league, I, and you told me he's back the day after the All Star break, I'd say take it. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, the Miami uh, center fielder, now second base turn center fielder, he just came back after six weeks, but uh, his turf toe was on his lead leg, so that maybe helped him back, come back a little quicker. He's more of a speed guy, so maybe maybe that factored in the recovery a little bit, but interesting, the difference between the, the lead leg versus the back leg in the swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think there's more force on the back leg of the swing than even when you're running. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh, so it's going to be one to watch. No word of surgery, which is good. Surgery would end the season, but we'll see. I mean, uh, two PRP injections quickly, turf toe, back foot doesn't bode well. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we're going to have uh, some stuff on NFL free agents as we're talking about uh, football heating up. Uh, it's still plenty of names out there. I, I don't know how surprised anyone is that uh, that all those names are still unsigned with training camp right around the corner, but Seems seems like an, an interesting one to track. There's definitely people with injury history, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, but still guys that can step on a teams and I had a question right for you, Doc. Um Dalvin Cook is getting a lot of steam. Dolphins did just offer him, but the Jets are a big name too. People are kind of confused because they already have a big name in Brees Hall. Is that them getting Dalvin Cook because they're win now? They're nine and a half, you know, their win total. they they need to rep- they lost um Chuck Clark where you're going back to losing people in the offseason for the rest of the year, that was a big one for them. But they immediately replaced them with Adrian Amos, who's a veteran, can play right now. So is that them trying to do that, or are they worried about Brees Hall's health? Probably both. Both, First of all, think of it this way. How many teams around the league now truly employ a one-back system? Are there any like maybe five, a couple, maybe. yeah. <laughs> I mean, few and far between, right? right? I mean, not like the old days. Very few, right? Number one, number two, even on teams without a number one three down back, what percentage of RB ones get injured in a season? High. <laughs> half. They miss a couple games. I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit more than half. Yeah, right. I mean. Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about here in the videos, Brees Hall is nowhere near 100%. I see it sure, like, right. you know what I do. I can't remember which knee was injured on him. And people show me video on Twitter. Hey, here's his practice video. He hit 21 and a half miles an hour. Look at how fast he is. I look at the video. He goes, well, it's his left knee. <laughs> you know, he's still <laughs> not game, there yes. yet. Which knee is it? He's yeah. doing fine, but he's still not there yet. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, well, it kind of goes in the next both. Kind of goes on the next topic and what we've talked about with Brock Purdy for a while, but that's that's the GM's job is to have the backup plan and have contingencies, right? And that's what we've seen this offseason from the Niners. I know Brock Purdy's going down to Jacksonville to throw with uh, a guy he worked out with before he got drafted, build up his arm, and then go to training camp. But I don't, is anyone expecting him to be able to make max throws midway through training camp, late training camp? I, it seems like the team's, I don't know, teams but... being dubious about it. Look, uh, obviously Kyle Shanahan likes his decision-making, right? But I don't know. I mean, uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, right? I mean, they obviously like Brock Purdy if he's ready, but uh, 
there are, I mean, forget that he's Mr. Irrelevant. How many young quarterbacks can back up a rookie, a couple of good starts as a rookie and do it again? I mean, how many minor league pitchers that get called up have a good first outing and then peter off, mm-hmm. you know, after there's a book on them? I mean, if we go back to 49ers, and I'm not dissing Brock Purdy. I remember when Jimmy G was hurt. Oh, my God, Nick Mullins, he's the next coming. He lit it up for a game or two. He played the Raiders. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> he played the Raiders. I remember that game. Yeah. He looked really good. He played the Raiders, but he also threw to his, his buddy the tight end. and Ross Dwelly. Uh, yep. Yes. <laughs> Ross Dwelly, his roommate yep. or whatever, and he yep. killed it. And then teams took it away. And yep. where's Nick Mullins now? I mean, journeyman guy, right? Yes. But there was a lot of excitement. Now, Brock Purdy has sustained it longer. But now, an offseason, I'm more, at this point, I'm less concerned about his elbow ultimately being fine. Now, is it going to be week one or second week of training camp or week five? I don't know. But I'm less concerned, almost less concerned about the elbow than all the missed reps in practice time mm-hmm. for a young quarterback in an offseason. Remember when when uh, Robert Sala said, this is the worst time for Zach Wilson to be yep. injured. Yep. And people are like, huh? It's like second it's week of preseason. Week one right? of preseason. Yeah. Work week one of regular season would be the worst time. No, he's saying the guy needs the reps mm-hmm. and not going to get him. Now, I don't know Brock Purdy's situation, but I'm a – that's why I'm sort of worried about that situation. Not just the elbow, it's the amount of missed time for a young guy. It's different if it's Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or you know whoever, whoever, right? Now, for Aaron Rodgers, it's still important because he's in a new team, new scheme, right? It's like the so Tom Brady situation important. in Tampa Bay, right? He needs, to be, he needs to be involved as soon as possible, right? Learning everything. I mean, hats off to Tom, but there's a reason why he was trying to gather at the local park during COVID with yep. his teammates, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> he knew he, he needed the reps. And guess what? By the time he'd been with Tampa a couple years, uh, obviously the Giselle thing, he took a week or 10 days off of camp. But it wasn't the first week. It was, hey, I think we're good now. Yeah. You know, let's give the backup some reps as I tap out and deal with some family things. So, you say, well, why do you need, if he needs the reps, well, you need the reps when you're not familiar, right? you know, and, and you're young when you're a veteran, you need fewer reps, but it's not just about the reps that Tom Brady would need or Aaron Rodgers or Brock Purdy. It's the reps of the people around you. I mean, how you step up in the pocket, how you call protections, how you hand off, how you throw hot routes, where you time a guy's break, right? In different things. It's it's about the synergies of, of what's going on. Not just you, but people around you. Uh, that leads us back to Leo Collins. He's going to miss that preseason time working at right tackle and getting the full live reps with, with Burrow and all that stuff. So that's uh, it's definitely something we're tracking along with the, the Saints situation. If Michael Thomas can get on the field enough with Derek Carr to, to build a, some chemistry. 
Yeah, um, I mean, uh, Michael Thomas, we've done a separate video on him. He's missed so much time in the last three years. Derek uh, said he's working. He's They're watching film together, but I don't think that means anything. <laughs> <laughs> that means something. I mean, yeah. the first, start, first step in the process. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get on the field and, on and the have field, some reps yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say anything bad about Derek Carr. Taylor will... Yeah, don't get me upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... What did you think about his comments? Oh, yeah. That the Raiders made his wife cry. And he knew uh, it was he, done he, the yeah. second they made his wife cry. He didn't say anything about it until now, though, is the thing. I don't know. I guess he had to be a teammate and whatever. But, I mean, I would have made a stink about it then. I don't know. It just made it look like he wanted to leave then. I don't know if that was the team making it. But now he's, like, acting like it was a huge deal to him. I didn't think it was then. Well, I'm not Almost doubting like the veracity of that. I, yeah. I mean – uh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't like throwing the wife in though. Like, are you trying to make me feel bad? Like, I don't like you're off the team now. Like it's, you know, we're moved on, but I don't know. <laughs> so callous. Yeah. Spoken like a single man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> or about to be, I guess now. Right. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I'm neutral on that. I, in some ways I'm like, leave the wife out of it. Some ways he's being real. It's good for right. him. I don't know. I mean, take it however you want. He seems like a guy who can't not be real. Like he just whatever's on whatever's on his mind, he's coming out with because he's genuine. So yeah, I, I kind of respect that in the quarterback. He's not it's not playing the media game for sure. Yeah, he's a little fake too, but it's okay. Yeah. He's a little fake too. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, no, Doc. What's your big thing? Like Rivers and stuff. They they're very. They're, he's himself. I just think he's. I don't know if he's like in that Rogers sense where you think you know very calculated what he does, but he does think before he speaks a lot. He's very car does. You know, he's got a fresh start, so whatever. But I don't know. I, I think the I think he had a great run with the Raiders. Right. I mean, it wasn't bad. Um, I don't know. I have my own opinions about <laughs> toughness and playing through injury and being there yeah. for guys. I'm playing the video in my head right now. You've heard it in Doctor All right. Uh, we won't hold it from people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What year was that? I don't remember. Two years ago? Cart had a great Raiders career. But there was one play, and maybe you'll cut it in by the time you produce this, where he takes a snap from under center, dislocates, I believe, his ring finger. I get it. It hurts like crazy. But then you see in the video, he turns holding his hand and heads for the sideline. The play is still alive. Cam Newton got a lot of grief in Super Bowl 50 because he didn't die from a ball that was far away from him. 2016, by the way, Doug. So my point is, when you have a fumble like that, none of your offensive linemen know that there's a fumble. Right. So you have a bunch of defensive players trying to get the ball. And realistically, unless the running back saw it, the quarterback is the only one who knows there's a fumble. You have to stay there and at least yell fire. You have to at least try and recover the ball, even if it's one-handed because your right hand hurts because it's dislocated. You got to like at least – you can't run off. You got to call nine one one and get help. You got to say fire. 
you know, and get, the offensive linemen are not even close to looking for a football. Right. <laughs> the center doesn't know there was a bad exchange. Now, admittedly, he went to the locker room, they reduced it, he came back, and they won that game. So it wasn't a big deal. But my whole thing there is the entire team saw it on film on Monday. Yep. They may have not saw it that day, but they saw it on film, you know. And let me tell you, players make mental notes. Um, he had a great Raider career. I'm not dissing him. I just, you know, um, but that was a crisis moment that, based on my experience, not playing the game, but being in the locker room, that teammates look at. Mm-hmm. But that was seven years ago now. So he's got a yeah, fresh start. Right. Sure. Uh, beast of the week. Can anyone outdo Otani's home run with a cracked fingernail? Leonard Fournette, <laughs> slightly injury based. Oh, with, good one. He's dealing with free agency, running back, which is like hell for all those running backs that are available now. And now his car explodes on him. Like, what else he has to do? Well, with okay, I got questions on that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would. Doc. Okay, I'm obviously more of a city guy. I'm not a mountain guy. I'm not a big camper guy. But when we've gone to the mountains. In a cabin, not roughing it in a tent and in the wintertime. And my wife says, let's start a fire in the fireplace. It ain't that easy. Yeah, it's not. I mean, <laughs> build a little tent, do a thing, yep. put the kitchen, you know, da, da, da. Uh, get it to work. It's not that easy. And how many times are you lazy or am I lazy sometimes with the barbecue? Maybe it's just me lighting charcoal and you spray the lighter fluid on old school days and you get a big fire and then it burns out. It turns out very quick. Cold right, didn't yeah. start. Like yeah. <laughs> I have problems sometimes starting a fire in the fireplace. Yeah. How does a car catch on fire? It's like mostly metal, isn't it? I mean, no, I'm not doubting it's real. I get there's fuel and things. Right. It overheated. Hot. It looked like I just don't know I mean, how like it's bad. I don't you, know. You know what I mean? I just like wow. I mean, obviously it happens, but and glad he's okay. Uh, kind of deal, but I would take it differently. The beast is not Leonard Fournette. Is not Shohei Otani for owie, my fingernail. And, and I hit right. a home run. You don't need your fingernail <laughs> to hit a home run. Okay. It's the pads, it's the grit. It's the fact that the dude struck out 10 batters and hit two home runs. Yeah. He's outdoing yeah. himself, which is already Give me <laughs> the football equivalent of that. There is none. This is the question I yeah I gave you earlier. There is none. Oh, if there is, you got to play offense and defense, right? There might be a basketball equivalent if you like score fifty and block ten shots, but I don't, I don't, I don't know, know that there's that a football is, equivalent. That just means you're doing your job, you know. On the both, you got to play both. I, sides. I mean, ten strikeouts. You're the winning pitcher. Gave it one run, and you hit two home runs. I told you Taysom Hill was like a one I would throw into that ring, but it's still he doesn't really he doesn't check all the boxes that Otani's doing. It's just there's not. I don't know if there's an equivalent unless they turn Taysom Hill into a safety. And he caught a pick, and he scored yeah. a touchdown on that pick. <laughs> you have to, he has to do. You can't just like get an interception. Luckily, like you have offensive linemen catching touchdowns, defensive linemen catching touchdowns. That's that's cool, but that's not an elongated. Yeah. You know. No, I'm just saying. So I'd say the beast is Otani for the forget the fingernail, the two home runs, and the ten strikeouts. I mean, oh my gosh, it's insane. I mean, literally. I mean, you could have just maybe bat Otani and <laughs> win the game. <laughs> 
I, it's what it takes to, for the Angels these days. They don't have a lot left on the infield after Urshela. No, there's a, meme, there's a the, meme on Twitter. So every time Trout and him have big games, they usually lose. So they always do like, oh, he had four. He's four four for two doubles and a home run, and Trout uh, hit a home run, but they lost nine zero. You know, what I mean, they just do stupid jokes like that because <laughs> like, they do. They yeah. both of them do That's so much. We are losing nine zero when you hit. Yeah, home yeah, yeah. They find a way. Like <laughs> Matt didn't check out on that one, but <laughs> all right. Uh, Keep working away, guys, on the preseason injury preview. Uh, keep having fun with Sleeper and Underdog. Some new changes to the website coming, too. Um, and uh, I failed. I did get in touch with uh, Dov Kleinman. He did respond. He was very, very nice. I can vouch Jordan Ronan if you're watching last week's guest. He is not a bot. He's real. At least he DMs and types like a a real person well, and uh, he's a real person uh he just doesn't like to do the interviews i guess he but i did tell him he basically i said look we'll you know whatever have you on it'll be friendly and he said thank you he's very kind and he said i'll consider it so we got a consideration but uh failed in getting him on then other than that we only got a couple weeks before we get into regular season stuff where we won't have time for guests so mm-hmm. uh tweet at me or you guys give me suggestions of whatever guests that you have on. We've got a few in the works here. It's just a matter of scheduling. I got to shout out Dan Orlovsky. I mean, he is so responsive. He always wants to do it. We haven't figured out a time yep. yet. He's got kids and I get it and the whole deal. Very busy. Yeah. And then he's got last minute TV, but he texts back every time. Oh, I, I want to check with me tomorrow. You know, he probably played that game 10 times. Uh, we'll get some other nice guests on. But I think uh, Steve Palazzolo was really good today. Pro Football awesome Focus, so special yeah. thanks yeah. to him. 